You know, I don't know if you know this, but as a Southern Baptist Church, we're a Southern Baptist Church, and, um, and we cooperate with Southern Baptist churches all over the, the, the nation and the world, and we send missionaries through the IMB. Um, next week, John Brady's coming from the IMB, and I'm so excited that he's in our church. I do hope that you make that a priority next week. But um, uh, one of the people groups that we minister to are the deaf. And, and I don't know if you know this, but you are a part of sending missionaries to deaf peoples all over the world. And it's just really cool that we get to be a part of that. I'm so grateful for that, um, um, that reading of Scripture today. Um, also, I want to say one more thing in regards to commercial, if you will, before we uh, jump into our parable. If you're a parent of a teenager... And I, I hope that you've received our, our email that we sent out last week. And I just wanted to remind you about our meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. Um, it's right over next door in the Fellowship Hall. And, uh, you know, um, it's an important meeting because we are going to confront a very important cultural issue regarding sexuality um, that, it, that it's impacting our whole nation, but especially our our, our students. Now, um, you know, we are a church that, that here's one of our, our core values as a church. We believe that the Bible is authoritative. And here's what I mean by that. That um, God's word has authority it's in our lives. And, and so whenever we come up against a, a belief that is contrary to Scripture, we are compelled to change our beliefs to line up with the Word of God. Whenever we find a practice that is contrary to Scripture, we're compelled to change our practices to line up with the Word of God. And uh, that's, that's where we stand as a, as a church. So, so I do hope, parents, that you make that a priority tonight at 6 o'clock. If you're a parent of a teenager, uh, and if you're our teenager, we, we hope you come. Now, I'm thankful for the, the for. For the record that we have of Jesus and his teachings. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7. That's where we are today. Um, and Luke chapter 7 is a really interesting parable. And it's, it's a record of one of those, those moments that Jesus taught and, and interacted with people. And, and wouldn't, it, wouldn't it have been cool to have been able to see that in real time? I mean, Matthew 9 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And actually, on the last Sunday of the year, we're going to look at Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And, and it's, a, it's a, such an incredible uh, passage. And it's, it's one I've always thought about because Jesus saw the crowds. And he was moved with compassion, the, the Matthew 9 says. And he was compassionately teaching. And people that heard Jesus teach said, man, Jesus, you teach like one with authority. You have power when you teach. And, and they were fascinated at Jesus' teaching. And, and I just think it would have been cool to be one of those that were in the crowd to hear Jesus teach. And I've thought about the crowd. I wonder what they were like. I wonder what they were dealing with in the crowd. I wonder what their fears were, their worries were, their concerns were. And Jesus got in front of those crowds, and he saw the crowds. And, and you know, when you look at this um, the story of Jesus and his teaching, one of the groups of people that were in the crowds were the Pharisees. They were, he was often having these interesting conversations with Pharisees. And, and it's kind of funny to me because um, often you find that when Jesus was in the presence of the Pharisees, he would address what they were thinking. Now, I don't know if you've ever, I mean, I've 
Uh, that would kind of mess you up a little bit, right? If, if you had a friend that you're hanging out with and he could always tell you what you were thinking, I mean, you'd change the way you're thinking, wouldn't it? I mean, how many of you are glad that I don't know what you're thinking right now, okay? You want to raise your hand? Uh, I don't. I don't know what you're thinking. Um, but, 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 you know, the truth is Jesus had that ability to be able to address what they were even thinking. And this is one of those moments. Now, it's important before we jump into this parable and this story that, that we understand a little bit of the first century culture. Because they, they, um, it wasn't uncommon for these banquets or these, these uh, dinners that would be taking place in the first century to be in these spaces that other people had access to. And, um, and so here we have Jesus at the house of Simon and, and just like kind of today, if, if people in a culture heard someone famous was going to be there, they would kind of go and see if they could get a glimpse of the famous person. It's kind of what happened here because Jesus was well known. People were flocking to him. People were wanting to hear him teach. And so then in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, verse 36 says. So let's get this concept. Uh, uh, you know, they didn't have tabletops like this where they're sitting in chairs like this. The, the culture was they would recline at the table. And, and so they would just kind of lay on their, their arm, and it was a really short table. And that was just the culture. So, so these important figures, the people that were invited to the dinner, are reclining at the table, but people are walking by, and there's access. And, and, and then look at what happened. Behold, verse 37, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So, so the word got around, hey, Jesus is here. He's over at Simon's house. And she's like, oh my goodness, really? I'm going. I'm going to go see Jesus. He runs to her house, gets the alabaster flask, and, and she heads to where Jesus is. Now, now, some of you may be sitting here going, wait, wait, I've heard this story before somewhere else. And, and you think about this, you, if you know your Bible, John chapter 12, 1 through 8, talks about the anointing at Bethany, where Mary Magdalene anoints Jesus' feet with oil. Let's not get that confused. That is not this moment. Some people have equated, okay, that, that's Mary Magdalene right here. But this is not Mary Magdalene. This is a different lady, another, a different person. So let's be careful not to get that confused. And because we really don't know who this woman was. Um, but one of the things we do know is that she was a sinner. She had a reputation. She, she was, but, but not only that, she was a repentant sinner. And we see this from her life. And, and, and I don't know where she heard the gospel. I mean, maybe she was in the crowd in Matthew 9 when he had compassion. Maybe she was there. Maybe it was Matthew 11, uh, 28 through 30, when Jesus said, Come to me and I will give you rest. And she was in the crowd going, Me? You mean I can have rest? I can have peace? Even me? And, and she had come to Christ. And I don't know. I don't know. But, but one of the things we do know is that this was a woman who recognized that Jesus could even save and, and it's a beautiful moment. Now, there's another cultural issue that's interesting uh, because 
it was not normal for a Jewish rabbi, and Jesus was a rabbi, it was not normal for, for him to engage women, especially like this in public. It was taboo. And uh, in fact, in fact, this woman, it was, she wouldn't even have been welcomed in Simon's house. She just kind of barged into the scene. So um, look at this, verse 38. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping. Now, have you ever, have you ever seen somebody crying in public? Like a public setting where you like just, I'm talking blubbering cry. Okay, I've done that. And it was really awkward. Um, uh, years before I came to be your pastor, um, uh, we had this experience. Robin and I went to New York City, and uh, it was just she and I, and we had this experience that was very difficult. It was an interesting experience. And uh, I'm not going to go into it right now because I just don't have the time to tell you. But, but I was really burdened, and I was really struggling, and I was wrestling with this call to pastor even, and it was just a really interesting moment in my heart, in my life. I, Satan was, it was a spiritual battle in my life, and I, and I, we had gone on this Sunday, we were there over a Sunday, and we went to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and we were late to church, and, and when we were late, uh, it was really awkward because uh, the usher goes, well, here, I got a seat for you. And they escorted the three, there were three of us. One of the, my former students was in New York City. We'd met him, and we'd gone to the Brooklyn Tabernacle together. They escorted us to the front row. So I'm on the front row of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and the worship starts. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I started crying. Like, like, like not just like, <laughs> not that kind of crying. Like crying. And Robin's going, honey, are you okay? I mean, she's like thinking institutionalized counseling at this point. And she's like, this is like blubbering crying. And it was awkward. And you know, people noticed. The pastor, uh, Jim Simbola, was preaching. He noticed. Because they couldn't help but notice. The people in the choir noticed. It was awkward. That's what's going on here. She's weeping at this dinner. So people are like, uh, it's kind of uncomfortable, you know? It's kind of like weird a little bit. And then, look what she does. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. Think how, much, how many tears you have to be crying to wet somebody's feet with their tears. This is a blubbering mess. And then she wiped them with her hair, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So, you know, the truth is, they're breaking all these cultural taboos. It's just kind of an awkward situation. And, and one of the reasons it's awkward is this is a woman with a past. Now, let's stop for a second. Don't we all have a past? Aren't we all sitting here as a people with a past? We are. And this is why I pray that, that we, um, unfortunately, in a lot of Southern Baptist churches, First Baptist churches, they have this reputation of being, oh, man, we're uppity, we, are, we got it all together, and we don't. We are all people with a past. And I have in my life that if you were to be a witness to it, you'd be like, that's my pastor? Eef. And we all have those moments. We all have a past, and this is a woman with a past. And, and that's the, 
She, she has a bad reputation. We don't, we, we, that's what we get the reputation. That was what we understand as we look at this. And this is quite a spectacle. As she is looking at, look at her tears, her humble attitude, her, her preparation to anoint Jesus' feet. And, and, and all these are evidence of a changed heart. And that's the evidence of her life. And she's overcome with gratitude. Look at verse 38 or 39. Um, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now in this moment, Simon is embarrassed for, for himself. He's embarrassed for his guest. But you know what the real problem with Simon here is? Is his blindness. Simon is blind because he could not see himself. He could not see the Lord, and he didn't see this woman. He couldn't see him. He's blind. And it's an interesting situation. It was easy for him to point out her obvious sin while he ignored the sin in his own heart. And when he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who is touching him. What does Jesus do? He immediately responded with this parable of the two debtors. And he teaches Simon a lesson, and it's a lesson for us. And it's interesting as I look at our culture, our world, because one of the most wrong things to do for, for us as Christians or anybody is to say to somebody that you're wrong. That's one of the most wrong things to do now in our day. And, and it's because we live in a world that they're like, how dare you say that I'm wrong? You can't say that I'm wrong. But the reality is our culture is struggling with the Bible. And I don't know if you knew this, but we have a, a, a world that is really struggling with the Bible because there are many moments in the Bible that it says, look, this is wrong. And it's the reality. We have to, uh, we have to recognize this, this cultural shift and the reality of sin. And, and point number one is so important for us. And it's this, um, that, that sin has always been our greatest problem. And this has been our greatest problem from, the, from all of humanity, for all of humanity. And see, the, the Scripture describes the history of man as living in this state of sin and rebellion against God. Now, here's a definition of sin, and it's not on your screen, but, but, but uh, on the screen. But, but I just want to give you this definition if you want to write it down. Sin means to miss the mark. Sin means to miss the mark. It's the failure to conform to the moral law of God in three ways, in act, in attitude, and in nature. Okay, let me explain. I'll say that one more time. Sin is, means to miss the mark. It's the failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, and nature. Now, I want you to know this. Sin doesn't just describe acts like lying, stealing, murder, or describing some deviant sexual behavior. It's not just talking about that. When the Bible speaks of sin, it also speaks of, of this idea, this fact that we were by nature sinners. And that's the reality of who we are. It's what makes Romans 5.8 so remarkable, where it says God demonstrates his love for us in this. God demonstrates love. That even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus knew, God knew that Chris Wall would be um, really good at, at committing sins of commission. I would commit sins willfully and, and intentionally. I would also be really good at, at committing sins of omission, where I just wouldn't know the right thing to do. I would just rebel against God. But yet he still came to develop and, and, and articulate and communicate this beautiful plan of redemption and forgiveness. 
That's what Jesus did. Now, I want you to look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn over with me real quick. And just one little Bible drill today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. And in this verse, it says something really important about this idea of sin. Among whom, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and look at this, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, now basically what the Bible is saying, that being children of wrath is the idea that we are plagued with original sin. And this is the state of every human being when they were born. We were born in a, as children of wrath. And this, is, this flies in the face of a culture that says, no, you're good in yourself, and we're not. We need a Savior. Forgiveness is our greatest need. It's our, sin is our greatest problem. And, and now, this is going to be on the screen, and I want you to, you're going to have to think with me for a little bit. This is one of those moments of, of theological and mental sweat, okay? We're going to have to do a little work today. And, um, but Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it'll be on the screen. You can turn over and look at it if you want, but I want you to see this. It says, Paul writes, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Now, now here's, what I, here's, here's why this verse is so important, that Adam in Scripture is this type of this example. Now, here's what I mean by that. Every person born has inherited guilt. That when you were born, you, you were in, given this inheritance of guilt, and through the trespass, through the sin of Adam, many were made sinners. And this is what we've inherited. That, that, that God knew that every one of us would follow in Adam's steps. And we have. And, and Adam's guilt belongs to us. Every person born has inherited guilt. But also I want you to see every person born has inherited corruption. That that. that in addition to this guilt of Adam's sin, we have this kind of original pollution that's in our lives, this sinful pollution, and that's the state of man. And, and by nature, and this is important, by nature, we are naturally rebellious to God, and that's our nature. And we get this. If you have kids in your home, I didn't have to train my kids to be selfish. They came by that naturally. I didn't have to uh, convince them that, that the world revolves around them. They got that on their own. It's been my job as their parents to help them see the world does not revolve around them. And see, by nature, we are sinners. And this doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. 
and what God has done. He's given us this desire for justice and this desire for, wait, let's, let's, do, let's put laws in place. And, and we have this innate desire because we know that we have a problem. There's a reason that we are naturally drawn to, to laws in society because we know, look, we need um, help with our sinful nature. And this is the reality. The point we need to realize is that even at our best, we are unable to please God. That at our very best, we can't please the Lord on our own. And it's not just some parts of us are sinful and some parts of us are good. It's the idea that our whole being, our whole lives are affected by sin. Now, I want you to write this title down. This is if you want to engage in some serious theological and mental sweat, okay? you ought to buy this book. And it's an old book. John Owen is his name. John Owen. He died a long time ago. He's one of the old guys. And he wrote this book. And I'm going to give you a title. And if you really want to engage in some mental sweat, it'll, it's one of those books that you'll have to read it and go, what did he say? i got to go think about that some more. And it's one of those books. And, and you'll get that from the title. Here's the title of his book. The Nature, Power, and Prevalency of the remainders of indwelling sin. Isn't that a good title? Let me give it to you one more time. If you, I want to challenge you. You've got to look at it. The nature, the power, and prevalency of the remainders of indwelling sin. You could probably just Google John Owen and find it, but that's the, that's the title. But, but what's interesting is he, uh, to summarize his part of his idea, it's a lot, but to summarize it, he talks about like sin is like a fire in us. And it's in a little room in your house, in your heart. And when it gets in your heart, in your house, what happens is that fire cannot be contained. And it will end up destroying all of you. It's like the Quigleys in our church. They are members of our church. And a couple years ago, they live in my neighborhood. A couple years ago, a little lightning bolt struck their house, and, and guess what? A little fire started in the attic, and it destroyed their entire home. That's what sin does in us. It starts little, but then it grows, and it is destructive. And one of the things I pray we don't ever forget is sin is our greatest problem, and, and we got to see this. And, 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 you know, as Jesus was at Simon's house, he is communicating this incredible truth that all people are sinful towards God. All people are. And this is one of the places that Simon, this Pharisee, he missed the mark. Now, point two is important. Self-righteousness is an important temptation to battle. And one of the things that we have to do as followers of Christ, and not all of you in this room are followers of Jesus. I mean, if you don't, there's... I would, I would doubt that if Jesus came back right now, some of you might be left. And it's, it's my prayer that today's the day of salvation for you. But I'll tell you, those that know Christ, self-righteousness is a temptation that we've got to battle here. Look at how Jesus responded to Simon in verse 40. And he answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And, and Simon says, say it, teacher. In this awkward situation, you get it? You feel it? This lady's bawling, you know, he's at Jesus' feet, crying over his feet, kissing his feet. The perfume's going through the, 
through the auditorium, through the auditorium. The, 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 I thought about doing that. I wonder if we should just release fragrance through the whole auditorium, but people would probably get sick, so I didn't want to do that. Um, but, but, you know, imagine this. Jesus said, hey, Simon, I got something to say to you. All right, say it, teacher. He goes, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him, owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Essentially, that's like a year's wages versus a month's wages, both a significant amount of money. But one owed a whole bunch, one a little. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, Simon, which of them would love him more? I mean, Simon's going, okay, Jesus got a little story here as this awkward moment's going, okay. Well, what does he say? I, I can see Simon looking at this lady, looking at Jesus, trying to hear what he's saying. Well, I, I su- the one I suppose whom he canceled the larger debt. And I, I can see Jesus looking at Simon going, look, you're, you're, you're a teacher, you're, you're a Pharisee. You suppose, really, really suppose and I can see Jesus, I think he was a little more, uh, I think he knew what was going on. I, I can see Jesus being, I don't know if he was smart aleck here. I don't know if Jesus is smart aleck. I just, I probably would have been. But, uh, but he says, you have judged rightly at the end of verse 43. Verse 44, then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. That's humility. It's brokenness. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, look at this, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Man, here's this broken lady, overflowing with gratitude and forgiveness. And what's interesting, Jesus didn't say to her, stop, stop doing that, lady. You're embarrassing me. He didn't say that. Um, You know, this Pharisee, Simon, he thought he understood forgiveness. And it's interesting, people, people actually think, God, you just love nice people. You just love the good people. And, And you know what? Jesus loves the greatest of sinners. And what we need to see, who are the greatest of sinners? Us. Every one of us. Because we all walked in this room with a past. And it's a past. But Jesus is powerful enough to rescue us from. And I love that about him. You know, he loves people that feel pushed aside that feel unholy, that feel um, impure. And you know who that is? It's every one of us sitting in this room. Every one of us are needing God's forgiveness. 
And it's why Jesus spoke those great words in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount that, that, that when he says that, that if you, um, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and not notice the log that's in your own eye? And I would say that maybe some of us walked in this room with, with a log in our eye. And it's easy for us to get into that position where we look at somebody and go, man, that person's a sinner. Folks, we're all sinners, the worst kind. And we all needed a Savior. And, and I'll tell you, th- there's some very, very important lessons to hear in this moment. Because this lady, this lady with the past, you know what she was, she's a good example of how we should, we really should pay close attention to glaring sin. The, the glaring sin in our lives, we should pay close attention to that. We should look at that. We should confront that. We should confront the glaring sin in our lives. And what's beautiful about this whole story is this is a lady that had, she had confronted her glaring sin. She had come to Jesus, and, and she came with all of her sin and with all of who she is without hiding anything from God. And guess what God did is he touched her and he forgave her. And I want you to know that when you come to God with all of your sin, not hiding anything, that he will forgive you and restore you and save you. And you may be sitting here going, you don't know what I've done, Chris. I don't. But he does. And he still says, come. That's amazing. That's why I want the world to know Jesus. Because he says, come. And we should pay attention, close attention to the glaring sin. But like Simon the Pharisee, we should also pay closer attention to those easy-to-hide sins. Because it's those easy-to-hide sins that really trip us up, that we think nobody knows this about me. But see, we're to bring to God those glaring sins. We're also to bring to God those easy-to-hide sins and say, Lord, work in me, cleanse me, wash me. we got to pay attention to pride to arrogance, to unforgiveness, to, to those, those sexual sins that nobody knows that we struggle with, that we're to have accountability and strength and relationship. That's what the church is here for, to be a body of believers, of brothers and sisters. I mean, what, what does the Bible say? A brother is born for adversity. That we, Proverbs 17, I believe, brothers are born for adversity. And, and you know, not only do we have to pay attention, closer attention to those easy-to-hide sins, you know what we also have to do? We've got to constantly confront those creeping sins, those sins that, that creep up in us, that, that, that trip us up. Because what we are in a spiritual battle as, as followers of Christ, and Satan is attacking us, trying to de- deceive us, and, and, and he comes at us. And it's funny to me because I, I messed up in the first service. I'll just fix it now because uh, I, I made this big deal in the first service about, look, we got to memorize the Scripture. And, 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 we, and I want to challenge you to do this. you got to memorize this verse. 
And the verse I'm about to tell you, you've got to put to memory. You need it in your heart. And so I made a big deal about it and then gave the wrong book of the Bible. So I was like, see? And I said, memorization is hard. We have to work on memorizing the scripture. It's hard. But I, so I just want to confess, I'm going to get it right this service. I said 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's actually 1 Corinthians chapter 10. People are gracious. Thank you for being gracious. Memory work is hard. You should memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. What does that say? If you think you're standing firm, be careful so that you do not fall. For no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's a verse you need in your heart. Because when temptation comes, when you battle these difficult moments of Satan attacking you, I have found the greatest strength in my walk with the Lord is when I am facing a temptation, I engage in, in Scripture. And in the sword of the Spirit, as, as Ephesians chapter 6 says, it's one of the best offensive weapons. And I'm telling you, I have seen incredible help in my life as I'm facing a temptation, and I've quoted that verse out loud, and God has helped me see the door of escape from temptation that he always provides. I want to challenge you to memorize that. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. Because we got to confront sin in our lives. And that's what Simon wasn't doing. And look at what Jesus said next, verse 48. Jesus looks at this woman. He just said, Simon, if you've been forgiven much, you love much. If you're forgiven little, you love little. And he said to her, look what he said to her. Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. And don't miss the big thing here. Go in peace. You may be here today and you don't have peace in your heart. Do you know that if you came to Jesus today, you could go in peace? That's what she heard. That's what Jesus proclaimed. Your sins are forgiven. It's thrilling to see what happens when people come to Christ. It's thrilling to see that. Um, man, it's, it's unbelievably thrilling. And, 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 you know, there's a glaring moment in our culture right now that's, that, that, that I'm like, what, what, are, what, is, what are we doing as Christians? We're missing it. Okay, I'll be honest with you, I don't know all the details of this. But Kanye West has come to Christ. That's kind of crazy to me. And, and here's a bunch of Christians going, yeah, well, that's that guy, man. That's, no. uh And I'm thinking to myself, how brilliant of God to call a guy to salvation like Kanye West, who can walk into some of these Hollywood places that I would argue needs Jesus just as bad as I do. And just like we're called to Tulsa and to interact with people that we know, 
God's called Kanye West to salvation, and he's going to interact with the people that he knows. And so let's be careful not to just throw rocks at a guy like that in our culture and say, praise the Lord that this man got saved. What a miracle that Kanye West got saved. But it's just as big of a miracle that Chris Wall got saved. Now let's be clear as we look at this. This is important. An important question, how is this lady saved? How is she saved? Well, well, Jesus said it. It's really big. And we got to catch it. She was saved by what? Her faith. Not her works. It's easy to look at her and go, well, she was really sad. You know, she had this expensive ointment that she anointed. See, she's saved. No, that's not how she was saved. Point number three is important. Salvation is only possible through faith. That's where we get, that's how we get saved, is faith in Christ. Not works, not efforts. I mean, Jesus, we think about Jesus, he performed some big miracles. I mean, he turned water to wine at a wedding. Remember that centurion uh, leader that, that said, hey, if you just speak, my daughter will be healed. And Jesus healed his daughter just by speaking. It was miles away. Um, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, even though he stunk. He'd been in the grave three days. He was already smelling. And Jesus said, hey, come forth. Go, uh, I'm glad you raised from the dead. Go take a shower, Lazarus. Um, he, he did some big miracles. But you know what the greatest miracle of all? The miracle of forgiveness is the greatest miracle of all. Isn't it? Isn't that the greatest miracle of all, that, that you and I can be forgiven? And where does our confidence in forgiveness come, uh, come from? Our confidence in forgiveness comes because God tells us so. Jesus proclaimed it, that if you put your faith in Christ, you'll be saved. Now, out of that, after we put our faith in Christ, we're compelled to, to serve the Lord. We're compelled to be baptized, to tell the world, look, Jesus has saved me. Baptism doesn't save you. That's just water. But, but it's a proclamation that, hey, I'm a follower of Christ right now, and some of you need to be baptized because you need to tell the world, Jesus is my Savior. You don't get baptized to, to be saved. It's the condition of the heart. This lady's heart was changed first. And, and then, you know, we don't give and tithe to, 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 as a way to be saved. And a lot of people believe that. I don't want you coming to this church thinking, oh, if I come to church, I'll be saved. No, you Salvation comes through Christ alone. Through what? Faith alone. And, and we do things like the mission. We're compelled to serve the Lord where we live. And, and, and I want us to see something. Forgiveness is available, but it's not automatic. There comes a moment where turn to him. Come to him. Come to Jesus. Is that where you are today? Is your greatest need to be forgiven? Can I tell you, if you will come to him, he will not turn you away. He will not. And maybe God's brought you here on this day for you to settle this in your heart. But also, are you like Simon? Have you been looking at other sins while ignoring your own? 
boy, we need to, we need to turn to the Lord. And see, what's amazing is his spirit is at work right now. His Holy Spirit is at work right now. One of my favorite verses is Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 13, no, no, 1, 13 and 14. I'm, I'm choking today. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I think it's on the screen. Carl, I think it is. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. You see, the moment you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you and leads you and corrects you and shapes you and disciplines you and walks with you. You know, I, I want you to know life knowing the Lord. I wish so much I could just grab my heart and just put it in you for, for a few minutes to know what it's like to be corrected by the Lord to be strengthened by the Lord, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be loved by the King of all kings, not distantly, but up close and personally. How do you know Jesus today? Sin is our greatest problem. And in Christ... It's the greatest miracle because it has come at the greatest cost, which is the God left heaven and came in a miraculous way, being born of a virgin. And then he lived this life that was beyond compare, and he walked the earth, and he, and he did miracles. And then he died willingly on the cross. And as he died, he said, it is finished. The work was accomplished. And then up from the grave, he came. That's why that song we sang There's power in life, no fear in death. That's the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. I'll come to Jesus today. Confront your sin today. You know, we're going to have an invitation because we are working on practicing moving every time God moves us. So our altars are going to be open. Some of our staff are going to be down front and we'll, pray. we'll be here to pray with you. If you have questions, you can come to us, not just here, you can come to us afterwards. But we're going to have an invitation and I pray that we learn to move every time God moves us.